Hello, my name is Brian Holtz. Today's scripture reading comes from Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life, because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. This is the word of our Lord. Hey Grace242, several years ago when Chick-fil-A still had their play places open, I was in the play place while my kids were playing in there, and another dad of kids in the play place must have noticed my t-shirt. I was wearing a t-shirt of my seminary at the time, and he asked me if I was in seminary. It turned out he was in seminary as well, and so we got to talking. He asked me where I was serving. I told him I'm a youth pastor at a Presbyterian church, and he told me he was Baptist, and then he said, Presbyterian? He said, does that mean that you baptize babies? And I said, yes, we baptize babies. And this comment must have triggered him because immediately he launched into a rant about why we not ought baptize babies. And he said, why are you baptizing babies? He said, when you baptize those babies, you're making them think that those babies are saved. And I told him, no, that's not what we're doing. But regardless of my attempts to try to explain why we baptize babies, it quickly became clear that this guy was not interested in a dialogue about baptism. Rather, he just wanted to win an argument. And so I did my best to try to exit that conversation as quickly as possible. Now, I think that one of the reasons why that Baptist combatant was so triggered by the comment about baptizing babies is that when he hears the baptism of babies, he has in mind the backdrop of the Roman Catholic view of baptism. The Roman Catholics hold that baptizing a child both infuses saving grace into the soul of the child and removes the state of original sin. In theological language, this is called baptismal regeneration. This is why that Baptist dad said, you're making them think the babies are saved when you baptize them. Now, despite the fact that that guy was on a mission just to blast somebody, his question of why do we baptize babies is a legitimate one. Why, as people in the Reformed theological tradition, do we baptize babies? Baptizing babies sounds kind of, and I've heard this word used by us before, Catholic-y, right? The baptism of infants seems Catholic-y, so why do we do it? If we're Reformed, and if in the Reformation we distanced ourselves from the Roman Catholic view, and if we vehemently deny that when we baptize a baby, they are somehow being saved, if we vehemently deny baptismal regeneration, then the question remains, why do we baptize babies? Now, I've been using the language of baptizing babies, but that's actually inaccurate language. To be more precise, I would say we don't just baptize any baby. We baptize the children of believing parents. We don't just baptize any baby. We baptize the children of believing parents. Furthermore, if someone comes to faith later in life, and if they were never baptized in the triune name of God as a child, then we would baptize that adult convert, that believing convert. So we baptize both the children of believing parents and people who come to faith later in life if they were never baptized before. Now, in order to build that biblical foundation, we have to affirm that baptism is rooted in the entire biblical canon. Even though baptism doesn't show up until the New Testament, it finds its roots in the entire Bible. Baptism is something that is supported by the whole of Scripture, both Old and New Testaments. 
With that said, let's turn to our scripture reading today. We're going to look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Read along with me. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Now what I want you to notice in Colossians 2 verse 11 is that Paul mentions the Old Testament practice of circumcision. So let's get there. So put your finger in Colossians 2 because we'll be coming back to it and turn to Genesis chapter 17 and we are going to read verses 10 and 11. But before we do, let me set this up for you. God is covenanting with Abraham or he's promising Abraham that Abraham will become the father of the family of God's chosen people. So Abraham's going to father the family who will be God's chosen people and they're chosen by God for the task of showing the world who God is. They're chosen for the task of representing God to the rest of the world. And as a sign of that promise, the family of Abraham, the males in the family of Abraham, will carry a mark. They'll carry a sign of the promise that God made to this family. So let's look at that sign in Genesis 17 verse 7. God says, I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. So again, God is promising Abraham that he will be the father of many descendants and those descendants of Abraham will constitute the family of God's chosen people. Now let's continue with Genesis chapter 17 verses 10 and 11. God says, this is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised. You must cut off the flesh of your foreskin as a sign of the covenant between me and you. The sign of the promise of God to this family will be circumcision. And as verse 12 explains, circumcision will be administered to newborn boys at eight days of age. Now, I remember learning about this as a kid and thinking, what in the world is going on here? Like, this is weird, it's awkward, it's kind of icky. Why would God choose circumcision as a sign? This is so strange and kind of gross. Why would God choose this as his sign? If you look at the latter part of Genesis chapter 17, Abraham is obedient to God's instructions. He has all of the males in his household circumcised and even he himself undergoes circumcision. And while he is incapacitated, while he's recovering from that medical procedure, what happens in chapter 8? God promises a son to Sarah. When God promised a son to Abraham, the promise seemed impossible. Because first of all, Abraham and Sarah were beyond childbearing years. They couldn't have a son. And secondly, Abraham was incapacitated from the circumcision medical procedure that he just underwent. And so at the time of the promise, the promise seems impossible. But nothing is impossible with God. So why is God choosing such a strange, weird, kind of gross thing to be the sign of his promise? It seems very strange to us. Well. First of all, 
Remember that God is promising that Abraham will father a family and that family will be God's chosen people. So God is carrying his promise through the family line of Abraham. Therefore, the male organ responsible for the continuation of that family line will carry the sign of the promise. Now, secondly, at the time of the promised son to Abraham, both Sarah and Abraham are not only past their childbearing years, but in Genesis chapter 18, Abraham is incapacitated in that regard because he's just undergone the medical procedure for the sign of the promise. So when a son does come to Sarah, it is a miraculous work of God's, which will forever underscore for the family that they exist not under their own power, but they entirely owe their existence to God. The family of Abraham was not their own doing. The family of Abraham is God's doing. They owe their very existence to God himself. They exist because of God, and they exist for the purposes of God. They exist because of God, and they exist to do His work, that is, representing who God is to the rest of the world. So, this is a lot. I realize it's a lot. So let's add this all up. What is circumcision? Circumcision is a ritual that symbolizes one's entry into the family of God. It is a marking and it marks that individual as one who belongs to a particular community. Which community? The community that knows and worships God. It is a ritualistic symbol of entrance into the community of God. That is what circumcision is. I realize that is a ton of background simply on Paul's mention of the word circumcision in Colossians 2 verse 11. I told you we'd be coming back to it, so let's get back there. I realize this is a ton of background, and I've actually split this message into two parts because there's so much cultural translation that has to go on. There's so much Old Testament foundations that we have to build in order to really appreciate the Reformed understanding of baptism. So that's why this message is in two parts. So it'll be a lot of foundation laying this week, and then we'll get into more practical application and outworking of baptism next week. So I said we'd be coming back to it. Let's go to Colossians 2 verse 11. And now that we've laid a foundation, hopefully we can cut through some of the misunderstandings about baptism, right? All right, let's look at Colossians 2 verse 11. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. In verse 11, Paul is describing coming to Christ not like a physical medical procedure in the Old Testament, but rather as a spiritual ritual wherein Jesus cuts our sin away. Now let's continue to verse 12 and look for an important word for this sermon as we read verse 12. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Paul uses the word baptism in verse 12. Paul is saying that baptism in some way symbolizes death and resurrection. Death to the old sinful self and resurrection to new life in Jesus. We think of the imagery of being plunged under the water to symbolize the death of the old life and then coming up out of the water to symbolize our resurrection to new life in Christ. Colossians 2 verses 11 to 12 is a critical passage for understanding the reformed view of baptism 
because Paul links circumcision in the Old Testament with baptism in the New Testament. So let's go back to the question asked by that Baptist dad in the Chick-fil-A play place. Why do we as Presbyterians in the Reformed tradition baptize children of believing parents? And the answer goes all the way back to circumcision in the Old Testament. When the Hebrew boys were circumcised, they were undergoing a ritual and that ritual symbolized that one day this child would grow up to become a fully-fledged member in the family of God. Right now, they're in the human family, the Hebrew family, and we're going to raise them as a Hebrew community knowing God and loving God so that someday when this child is grown, they can know God and love God for themselves. And when they come to know God and when they come to love God, that is when they will become a fully-fledged member of God's family. So when we circumcise this individual, we are marking them. We are symbolizing that someday this child will be raised by us to one day embrace and love God for himself. And when this child does, then they will become a fully-fledged member of God's family. It is a ritual that symbolizes entrance into a community, and that community is the community that knows and loves God. In the same way now, we baptize children of believing parents as a ritual that symbolizes that this child is entering the community, the church, that knows and loves God. Right now, we acknowledge that this infant can do nothing of their own. They need to be raised by us, by the church, by the community that knows and loves God, to know and love God for themselves. And one day, when they come to know and love God for themselves, when they profess faith of their own, on that day we celebrate that they have now become a fully-fledged member of God's family. In the same way that circumcision was a ritual that symbolized entrance into the community that knows and loves God, baptism of children of believing parents is a ritual that symbolizes this child coming into the community, the church, that knows and loves God. Baptism and circumcision, they go together. They are both rituals that symbolize one's entrance into the community that knows and loves God. And now you should be able to understand why we don't just baptize any baby. To say we baptize babies is incomplete. We baptize children of believing parents. Because if baptism is not about regeneration like the Catholics say, rather, if baptism is about symbolizing one's entrance into the community that knows and loves God, then baptism is about the community, the church, raising this child so that they themselves will come to know and love God on their own. This is why we only baptize children of believing parents, because we as a community are saying, Along with the parents of this child, we as a church, we as a community commit to raising this child in the faith so that one day they can, of their own accord, profess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we are going to raise them and shepherd them and do our best to bring them to that point where they themselves know and love God. This is why we take vows at baptism. This is why both the parents and the church community, the covenant partners, both take vows. We are committing to raising this child in the faith so that one day they can profess Christ on their own. Now, this isn't a perfect analogy, but many of us are aware of the incredible demand for 
Packers season tickets. And the demand is so high that there's been a waiting list since the year 1960. And reports are that the waiting list now is more than 137,000 people long. And because the list is so long, it's become a trend for parents to put their children on the list as soon as they're born. So parents are putting their newborn children on the waiting list shortly after birth, but at the same time, while the child grows, the parents are raising them to be part of the Lambeau faithful, they're watching games with their kids, they're buying their kids jerseys, they're familiarizing their kids with the players and what position they play. In the summer, they are bringing their kids to training camp to watch practice and maybe even get an autograph. And all of this is with the hopes that one day when their child is grown, they'd root for the Packers and even better, maybe, just maybe, have a shot to get to the front of that waiting list and be able to purchase season tickets for themselves. And what all of this raising the child in the Lambeau Faithful does is it ensures that now when their child is grown, they are going to raise their children in the faithful green and gold as well. Last week we talked about communion and we labeled the reformed view on communion spiritual presence. Now this week, as we're talking about baptism, an appropriate label for the reformed view of baptism might be entrance into the community of God. When you boil it all down, reformers emphasize that baptism is a ritual that symbolizes entrance into the community of God. Simply put, in the same way that Hebrew boys were circumcised as a symbol of their entrance into the community of God, we baptize children of believing parents as a symbol of their entrance into the community of God. This ought to answer my guy at Chick-fil-A's question of why do we baptize children of believing parents? But this circumcision baptism connection also answers why we baptize adult converts to the faith. Because in the Old Testament, when an adult male would convert to the faith of Abraham, when an adult male would convert to belief in Yahweh, that male would also undergo circumcision as a symbol, as a sign that they had now entered into the family of God, that they had entered the community of God. Let's just look at one quick example. In the Old Testament, before God rescues the Israelites from slavery, he gives them the instructions for the Passover meal. And let's look at what God says about non-Hebrews, about foreigners, when it comes to eating the Passover meal. Let's look at Exodus 12, and we'll read verses 48 to 49. If there are foreigners living among you who want to celebrate the Lord's Passover, let all their males be circumcised. Only then may they celebrate the Passover with you like any native-born Israelite. But no uncircumcised male may ever eat the Passover meal. This instruction applies to everyone, whether a native-born Israelite or a foreigner living among you. What do reformers believe about baptism? An appropriate label would be entrance into the family of God. That baptism is a ritual that symbolizes one's entrance into the family of God. And this is all based on that circumcision baptism connection, that both circumcision and baptism are a symbol that represent one's entrance into the family of God. Next week, in part two of this message, we're going to look at some of the practical outworking and some of what this means for us about baptism as reformers. I'll see you next week, Grace 242.